Well, good morning, Calvary Church. You can hear me? The microphone is turned on? All right, good. Uh, I've had some issues with that. It is great to see you guys today. Uh, If I don't know you, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and we are really glad that you have joined us here uh, to worship this morning. Our head pastor, Kendrick, is currently leading a team of disaster relief workers in Florida who are ministering to people who are affected by the hurricane. Um, So if you please be continue to pray for that situation. Pray for Kendrick as he's working in that environment and the many, many volunteers who Southern Baptist churches like ours have sent to go and and minister to people there and pray for the people who've been affected for that as well. Um, Last week, Kendrick began a new series talking about prayer and specifically how prayer helps our evangelism, how prayer moves us to evangelism. And he showed us in 1 Timothy 2 how prayer informs the direction of our evangelism. It shows us God's heart for all people, people of all races and nations and nationalities and ages and and everyone, that they would hear the good news of Jesus, hear the gospel. This is a really big mission, that the church is to take the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he has done to the world. Uh, It's a really big thing. and so it's, it's natural, uh, if you're like me, to uh, be the person who says, well, how exactly are we going to do that? How are we going to do something this big? Uh, this is such a huge task that it feels like we can lack the ability, we can lack the strength, and we can lack the courage to go and tell the whole world about Jesus. It can feel hard enough to share about Jesus in Los Angeles, where you can oftentimes feel uh, that you are a little bit surrounded by a world that doesn't know and doesn't follow Jesus. Well, today we want to talk about that how. And we want to be honest to say, if you're like me, I'm trying to be honest here, we are intimidated by evangelism. We are intimidated by going out and having these conversations about the gospel, these conversations about Jesus. It feels unnatural to go up and initiate conversations with a stranger or a coworker or a neighbor. Um, and sometimes it feels even worse to approach our friends and our family members because we're going to have to see them more often, right? Uh, we're afraid of the pushback we might get when we share the truth of the gospel, when we share the truth of Jesus. And then on a broader scale, when we step back and look at the world, when we look at the church's mission to the nations, it can be even more overwhelming. There is so much lostness in our world. There is so much brokenness that it seems like an impossible task. And so it's a good question to say, how do we even start? How do we even even make a dent in this, this task that we've been given? It's hard enough to live daily lives as Christians in a lost world. It feels like it's beyond our ability. Well, the Bible and God understands these questions that we bring and understands our fears. And today we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul addressed these concerns in his letter to the Ephesians. So go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Now, through a lot of the first three chapters of Ephesians, because we're kind of parachuting in right to the middle of this letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, Paul has been explaining the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's work in their lives, taking them from their old way of life, their own lostness, their own brokenness, and making them into a new people, into the church. Because of God's great mercy, God has made us alive when we were dead. He's brought us near to himself when we were far off. And he has made peace and united peoples from vastly different backgrounds. People who once hated each other are now brought together to be one people 
one new humanity, the church. And Paul speaks of this task that he and the Ephesians have been given to proclaim this good news, the unsearchable riches of Christ to all people. And, and much like us, Paul understood the overwhelming greatness, the overwhelming uh, uh, job that looked in front of them, that was facing the Ephesians and himself. And so at the end of chapter 3, he pauses to pray for the Ephesians. He pauses to pray for them. He prays that they would have the strength to face this work that they've been given, this, this strength to follow Jesus in the midst of a broken world. He's, he actually starts this prayer in verse uh, 3, verse 1, and then he gets distracted talking about the beauty and mystery of the gospel. And so he res resumes in 14. Pre preachers have been getting distracted and running on tangents for 2,000 years. He does that for 14 verses. Then in 14, he finally comes back to where he began this prayer for our fears, the prayer for our inadequacies, for the job of evangelism, for the job of mission. So let's turn to this prayer and see how we can pray along with Paul for the strength to do what God has given us. This is God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, will you pray with me as we dive into God's word? Father, we love you and we are thankful for your word and its instruction to us this morning. Father, I pray as we talk about this passage, that you would help the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Paul begins this prayer by addressing God the Father, the Father who is the source and sustainer of all peoples, of all nations, of everything that exists. And he comes, he says, on bended knee. For us, this is a pretty normal picture. For a Jewish uh, uh, teacher like Paul, this would have been something to show an extra amount of emotion, an extra amount of seri seriousness and dedication. He is overwhelmed by the beauty of what God has done, and it drives him to his knees. He's overcome by what God has provided for us. And so in light of the reality of God's work in the church and our desperate need, Paul turns to prayer and he is going to ask for three different requests on behalf of the Ephesians. And we're going to look at these three different requests that will help us as we try to share the gospel, as we try to be obedient in our daily lives to Jesus. So let's look at this first request, strengthening. In verses 16 through the first half of 17, Paul asks for strengthening from the Holy Spirit. We need strengthening, right? This verse here is, is passive, which means it's not something that we go do. It's not, he's not saying go and get stronger, Ephesians. He's saying you need God to strengthen you. You are, are passive in this. It's something that God must do to us. 
and we desperately need God to strengthen us. And, and this is something that we don't like a lot of times. We don't like the feeling of, of weakness and inadequacy, but, but we know it's true. By, by expressing fear, by expressing uh, trepidation and, and nervousness about going and sharing the gospel, we are recognizing, I need some help with this, God. I don't have this covered on my own. And this is, this is true, right? Openly admitting that we need God's help is nothing bad. That is a, a, an admission of reality, right? It is uh, saying that the strength we have is not enough, and this brings freedom. It brings freedom to know that God is here to help us in the task that we have. We feel inadequate. We are, right? We feel that we don't have what it takes. We don't. We need God's help. The immensity of God's work only highlights our own inadequacies, and that is good news. God provides the strength we need, not only for evangelism, but for the entire life of following Jesus. And what Paul shows us here is that God wants to pour spiritual blessings into us. That's how he started the letter, about uh, praying and, and, and blessing God who has poured every spiritual blessing into the lives of believers. There's nothing he's holding back from us when we follow Jesus. We require God's strength to receive them, right? So we need strengthening in order to get all of the good things that God wants to give us. Think about like in a, a water cooler. Have you ever seen those little paper cups that are like a cone so that you can't set them down? You can drink maybe like six ounces of water. And about like 10 seconds after the water hits them, they just start to dissolve into nothingness in your hand. That's us, right? We are a tiny little paper cup, and God has a fire hose of blessings that he is pouring in. And at first, it just like tears us up. We can't handle it. We need reinforcing. We need to be strengthened to be able to hold what God is giving us. The more God strengthens us, the more of his blessing we receive, and the more we are strengthened. It's like this spiral upward of being able to handle what God is giving us and being able to do what God has asked us to do. There's three parts of the strengthening that we want to highlight here. First is that strengthening comes from God's abundant riches. This is the source where, where we're getting them from. God strengthens us according to this abundance. Now, why is, why is this important? First, because his riches are abundant, right? There is no bottom to this vault of God's greatness and God's goodness. They can never run out. There's no task, there's no amount, there's no need that will put a dent, that will even lower the level of what God has abundantly. God has so much, it can never run out. There is no end to his blessing, to his power, to his strength. What he has is more than enough to give, and his riches are infinite. We don't have to fear that God will not have what we need. So he has abundance to give, and God's generosity is also abundant. This means that God doesn't give according to our needs. He gives according to his abundance. So think about that. I have this need. God's not just going to meet my need. God is going to pour extra. God is going to give me everything possible. God is a generous giver. He's not stingy with answering our prayers. He's not stingy with providing us what we need to follow him, what we need to share the gospel and proclaim the good news. He can provide our needs. He can provide us the strength that we need out of his abundance. We don't have to fear it running out. This is a great comfort to us, isn't it? Uh, there is no end to God's love and his blessings. Secondly, we are strengthened in our inner being. We're strengthened in our inner being, our inner person. One commentator talks about what Paul's saying here. He says he's describing the interior of our being, the seat of our personal consciousness and our moral being. 
So what is he saying here? This is not the external. This is the internal. This is not always the outward appearance, but who we are at our deepest level where God strengthens us, where God supports us. And though we don't always feel it, this is actually the area of our greatest need. We need help to fight against the sin that is, with, that is within us. We need the help to have the courage and the faithfulness and the consistency to follow God. And these things all come from inside. You change the heart and the actions will follow. You get a tree healthy roots and the fruit will be good. God goes to the heart, to the interior to transform us. And it's this interior transformation that produces exterior change. Now, this means there's going to be times when outwardly we are suffering. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how outwardly we are wasting away. We are declining. But inside, we are being transformed. We are being renewed. And it is this inward transformation, this inward strengthening of God's spirit that lasts for eternity. Our situations, our difficulties, our greatest need in this moment are going to pass away. They are light momentary afflictions but the transformation that god is producing inside of us is eternal and it lasts forever we can trust in his strengthening within the third thing we are strengthened by christ's indwelling and by the spirit's power strengthening comes when christ dwells in our hearts and when the spirit himself strengthens us now, this is pretty cool, right? We're talking about strengthening. We're talking about how God meets our needs. And Paul is talking about the entire Trinity, right? This God who is three persons in one, who is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. All of the persons of the Trinity are here working in us to help us in our daily needs. God is not just beaming down some energy to us like a lightning bolt or some, you know, like far off distance, like there's some strength for you today. No, God is stepping down into our lives. God is close to us. He is uniting us to Christ through the Spirit, and this is the source of strengthening. When we follow Jesus in faith, the Bible tells us that we are united to him. We are tied to him. Where he goes, we go. In chapter 2 of this letter of Ephesians, Paul shows us that we were made alive with Christ in his resurrection. We were raised with Christ, and we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are saved because we can't be separated from him. We can't be pulled away from him. We are together with him through thick and through thin, through anything we can face. We continue to live and obey God because we are united with Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes this connection, who binds us to Christ and keeps anything from pulling us away. And it's the same power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that gives us the strength that we need each and every day. That gives us the strength for ongoing obedience. That gives us the strength to be on mission and have boldness to share the gospel. And, and when we think about this, this is incredible, right? We have the strength we need because God has promised to be with us. God has promised to be with us. Christ dwelling in our heart, the spirit dwelling in us, moving us each and every day. All the authority of heaven and earth and all of the power of God's Holy Spirit are present daily with us as we go out to proclaim God's name to the nations, as we go out to make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And so with this strengthening, we can freely admit, or admit our, witness, our weaknesses. Sorry, sorry. Freely admit our weaknesses. Got it. Uh, we can freely say, I need help because God has come alongside us to give us what we need. That is good news. This is Paul's first request. Then he moves on to another request about halfway through verse 17 and going all the way into 19. It starts with the words, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul's second request is that by God's strengthening, the Ephesians would be able to comprehend Christ's love. That God would give us the ability to comprehend Christ's love. And once again, he's asking based on something that we desperately need. We don't only need Christ to love us, we need to know that he has loved us. We need to understand that this love, that that his action for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection, is given to us. It's not just some abstract thing, some, some old, distant, historical event. It is something that is given to you, to me. It is offered to us. Only through Christ can we understand and experience God's love. Back in chapter 2 again of Ephesians, verse 7, Paul tells them that God has saved us so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Christ is the way that we see this immeasurable greatness of grace and mercy and love poured out into us. It's poured out in the work and the person of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is this visible expression of God's love. And once again here, God is the source. God is the one who is loving us, and God is the one who is showing us that we are loved. God has sent us Jesus. God has given us his word to tell us what he did. And he is giving us the strength and the ability to comprehend, to understand what Jesus has done. Now, one kind of interesting thing here is that Paul is telling us to do something that is impossible. You might notice he's saying, I want you to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God. Which you're saying, how exactly does that work, Paul? That's a great question. How can we wrap our minds around this thing that is too big to understand, too big to grasp? He asks, literally, this word comprehend is is to grasp, to, to put your arms around, to hold on to. And he's basically saying, put your arms around the Pacific Ocean, right? Put your arms around all of the sand in the world and try and hold this together and grasp it. It, it can't be done. There is too much. There's, there's too much there for us to, to be able to understand this breadth, length, height, depth, and the surpassing love of Christ. There are these two elements that he mentions here. He mentions these four dimensions first. They describe something that is incomprehensibly big. Like you could say really, really big. Like how big? Too big. I don't know. It's, it's, you can't see the horizons. In each of these directions, the breadth, length, height, and depth, it just goes on. I can't see where it ends. It's huge. Paul doesn't, note, he doesn't specifically say what it is he's measuring here. And so there's a lot of different theories. God's wisdom, his power, the vastness of his universe. But I think the best answer is that he's talking about the vast, immeasurable dimensions of Christ's love for us. Christ's love is so big, we can't see where it ends. We can't see where it starts. It is immeasurable. And that leads us to the second part. He says that we would grasp the love of Christ. This is the gospel. This is that Christ took on our 
our imperfect and, bro- and broken flesh became a human. He humbled himself to die in our place on the cross. Not because we are good, not because we are lovable, but because of his love and his goodness and his mercy. God chooses to love us and to save us. Christ's love is so great that it can't be measured. It can't be defined. We cannot um, see these dimensions. And, and although this isn't exactly what this means, I love one way a pastor imagines these different dimensions. He says, when, when comprehending, when trying to grasp this incomprehensible thing, he says that the love of Christ is a love wide enough to embrace the world. It's a love long enough to last forever. It's a love that is high enough to take sinners to heaven. And it is a love deep enough to reach the lowest, most broken sinner. That's a start. It's not the whole of it, but it's a start. Paul prays that we would be able to to hold on to this, to know this surpassing knowledge. And this is something that is, of course, impossible. We 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 can't ever know the end of it. But it's also a different kind of knowing. We don't know the love of Christ the same way we know the answer to a trivia question or we know uh, the, the answer to a math problem. We know this love experientially. We experience it, and we know it more and more the more we experience it. We know Christ's love like we know and love a person, a person who loves us, who cares for us, who is active in our lives. And now we only know in part, and we only know because God has helped us Notice he's, he's praying that you would be able to grasp at, to be able to try and, and get a hold on what Jesus has done for us. And, and to make it uh, available in a way that doesn't like, you know, make our eyes catch on fire and our brain melt out of our head. God gives it to us in a way that we can understand just a taste of it. But the, the amazing thing is that this prayer is not something that ends in this life for us. The promise of a believer is that one day we will be with Christ in person. We will see him face to face. And for all of eternity, we will know more and more of Christ's love. And this bottomless, measureless depth, we will spend the rest of eternity knowing a little bit more and more and never reaching the end. That is a beautiful thought. To swim in the endless ocean of Jesus' love for us. This is also something we do together. He's praying in the plural here in all of these ways that you together. And and at the very end, he mentions to uh, to know the love of Christ with with all of the saints, that you'd be able to comprehend with all of the saints. We do this in community. We experience the love of God as other Christians love us, as other Christians care for us and meet our needs. And we show the love of Christ when we come together to worship, to study God's word, and to care for one another. We do this together. This love is, is foundational for what we are and, and, and how we act and move. It's foundational not just for evangelism, but for obedience each and every day. When he began this request, the halfway through verse 17, he says, uh, he describes us as rooted and grounded in love. He's using two metaphors here. He's using a, a metaphor from nature that we are rooted like a tree with deep roots that, that give the nourishment that the tree needs and, and keep it strong when the wind blows that hold it up. And he uses an example from architecture, that there would be a foundation of love that is firm and strong and holds the structure up. We are rooted, we are grounded in love. It is the foundation that that lets us grow. 
Together they show us that love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow and is the foundation upon which we are built. God's love is the source of our salvation. It's what lets us know God in the first place, to be saved and forgiven from our sins. And because he showed us this mercy, he sought us when we were still enemies, when we were dead in our sin. But it's, it's more than just the beginning. It's also the foundation for our continued obedience. Good works, when we obey what God gives us to do, the only real motivation that will ever last is God's love. If we are obeying because we're trying to earn enough good points with God, we will never earn enough. And we will end up serving other people so that it helps us. We will obey with selfish motivations out of a heart that is trying to collect more and more things for me. If we try and share the gospel with this same motivation because we feel guilty, because we know I should and I, and I feel bad if I don't, does that make me a bad person, a bad Christian? That motivation won't last. It's not, it's not good enough to drive us forward. The only motivation that is there is the love of God. To know that we have been completely saved, that we have been completely forgiven and completely restored. When we taste the immensity of his love for us, when we begin to understand all that God has given us, we willingly, we gladly follow his direction for our lives. We gladly obey him. Successful obedience, successful evangelism comes when we are so overcome with the greatness of God and what he has given us that we can't help but talk about it. I had a friend in college uh, who will be happy I'm talking about him. He got a Disneyland pass, right? And Disneyland, it's great. But he was so excited about this thing, he would not stop talking about it, right? Everywhere he went, he would be talking about how it's such a great deal, and there's all these fun stuff you can do, and I found these different secrets. And he talked about it so much that he convinced like five or six people that they needed to go buy one too. And you would have thought that he was like a secret salesman for the Disney Corporation out here to get us to all buy these things. Uh, That's how much he cared about it. But he wasn't getting anything out of it. He just enjoyed it, and he wished that the people around him would share in his enjoyment of it. He wanted to pull other people in to experience the same thing along with him. And Disney's fine, but the love of God, the love of, of all these things is so much infinitely better than going to Disneyland that we should have this same joy. We should experience the joy of Christ and love it so much that we can't help but talk about it, that we can't help but tell people what Jesus has done for me and what he can do for you too. It just spills out of us, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but out of joy, out of love, of enjoyment. So we have to ask ourselves, do we love the gospel enough to talk about it? Do we know the love of Christ so much that we can't stop shouting about it, singing about it, telling everyone about it? Love is the foundation for our obedience and our evangelism. And this brings us to Paul's third request at the end of verse 19. He prays, shortest of all, kind of summing everything up, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That we'd be filled with the fullness of God. This is the same fullness, the same completeness that, that fills God, that makes God complete and perfect. We are drawn near and united with that same fullness. One example I read about this that, that's imperfect but helps us start to understand is like a bucket in the ocean, Right? If I take a little toy sand bucket and I hold it in the ocean, it is filled with the Pacific Ocean. 
but there's a lot more ocean left out there, right? It doesn't, it doesn't exhaustively hold the ocean, but it holds in part, in tiny, infinitesimal measure, a bit of this fullness. It participates in it. This is what Paul is speaking about. What does this fullness mean? It means that we are provided and filled and completed with everything that we need. We experience sufficiency, provision, satisfaction, and contentment. It means that we are reaching the maturity that God has planned for us when he saves us. We come to the goal of what following Jesus. This is, this is what all of it leads to, what following Jesus should, the road it should take us toward. It's, it's fullness, it's maturity. Paul is praying that they may all be that God wants them to be. They, they would be spiritually mature. And since God himself, Jesus Christ, is the standard, this means that being perfect as he is perfect is the goal. Being holy as he is holy. Being filled with his fullness. When we are filled, we are conformed. We are brought to match the image of Christ. This is, this is where everything is going towards. This is why God strengthens us. It's to be filled with his fullness, to conform to his image. This is why Christ has loved us and why he laid down his life for us, to bring us into this fullness. And this is the good news that we get to take out into the world around us, that by the love of God, we can be filled up with everything we need, that we can be restored to what we were created to be, that no matter what brokenness is in our lives, no matter what pain and suffering we've experienced in the world, there is a fullness, there is a completeness, a healing that comes from God that can't be found anywhere else. It is the surpassing goodness, the joy that motivates us to speak of God's goodness. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we naturally invite others to come and taste as well. So these are his prayers for the Ephesians, that they would be strengthened that they would be able to comprehend some of Christ's love and they would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the prayer that we can share and that we can give to God as we go out to follow him, to obey him, and to speak this gospel to those who are around us. And we can have great confidence as we pray this. We can have great confidence that God will provide what we need. Paul tells us as he closes in this benediction and this worship in verses 20 and 21 that God is the one who is able to do far more than we can ask or even imagine to ask. There's no lack of imagination in what God can do. There's no lack of love and power. There's no reason to doubt or to fear. He is able to provide. He is able to do much more than we are even able to ask. So do not doubt either the goodness or the ability of God. We can pray with abandon. We can pray with boldness. We can pray uh, with all of the stops pulled out. God is able to do more than we can imagine. And where does this lead us? This leads us ultimately to worship. All of the works of the glory of Christ, the worship of God through his work, through his people, it leads us to worship him. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Worshiping God so we invite others to share in this glorious work that God has accomplished in the world. And we invite them to experience the salvation and reconciliation in Christ. We invite them to experience the strengthening of the Spirit, the surpassing love of Christ, and to be filled with all the fullness of God. 
We invite others to join us in worshiping the one true God. Church, this is our work. This is our mission in the world. And God has given us everything we need to accomplish it. Our evangelism and obedience are fueled by the power, love, and fullness that God abundantly provides. And so church, today, as we think about our prayers, all we have to do is ask. He's here. He's present in our lives, and he has abundantly what we need. We have only to ask. We have only to remember that those who are in Christ have God as their father, the father who gives good gifts to his children. So church, let us approach God in prayer. The God who is abundantly able to do far more than we ask or imagine. Let's pray together, church. Father, we, we are thankful that you see us in our need. We are thankful that your word is honest to us about how difficult a task we face. About how big and vast the problem of sin is in our lives and in the world. But Father, we are, we are equally grateful that you have promised us the answers we need. That you have promised us the strength that we need. And so, Father, I pray for us today that we would be strengthened by your spirit in our inner being. Father, that you would make us able to grasp the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And, Father, that you would fill us with all the fullness of God. Father, send us out into our world. Send us out in your spirit, in your power. And help us to declare the goodness of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.